Awesome. It is good to be back with you. I'm fired up. We could be here all morning because I wasn't here last week. I got a lot to say. But it's not what I would say. It's what God's Word would say. So we're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount. Did you notice the milestone that we had finished Matthew chapter 5? I know they added chapters and verses later, but I kind of, it helps me to outline and go through things. And we are moving into chapter 6 now. In fact, the first four verses of Matthew chapter 6, I've entitled the sermon, Give for God's Glory. Don't panic. It's not a full-blown generosity giving sermon. I'm not going to ask you to get your wallets out and your checkbooks and your debit cards and all that. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. But we're going to look at what Jesus says in relation to this item. Uh, I'm just grateful for the Sermon on the Mount. Like some of you have read it dozens if not more times and uh, I've just learned so much and applied so much to my life and how I should live. Has that been true of you? To see even the progression from the Beatitudes and then the, the salt and light and just on and on and on these things that we are to do. The higher standard that Jesus has given. Remember, he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, to take it to its intended completion. And he does that. And so today we move to chapter 6, and Jesus begins to clarify for us how we are to relate to God. Isn't that an awesome uh, uh, supposition? Or I'm trying to think of the word. I'm having a senior moment. Whatever it is. Isn't it an awesome thought that we get to relate to Creator God. That just blows my mind. So he's going to clarify some things for us today, how we might truly follow God. Just a little background. To the Jewish people in those days, there were three great pillars on which a good spiritual life would be made. Okay? Three things. The first one was giving to the poor, they called it almsgiving, and maybe you've heard of that term, but I would, today we'd say giving to the poor. The second great pillar, I mean, you're going to be a good spiritual person. The second one was asking in prayer, prayer and asking how to do that. And then the third one was the, what I call the abstinence of fasting. Fasting lets us know there's going to be abstaining from something, usually food, and so Jesus is going to comment on these three great pillars. I mean, it was pretty easy back then. Do those three things and you were, you were a one proper member of the Jewish synagogue. How about that? So Jesus, in the first section of, or the first half of Matthew chapter 6, he's focusing on these areas. And let me just say up front, these are good things. All three of those are good things. Would you agree? I hope you would. Jesus' problem though, and he has a problem, it's with the performance of these right actions, the performance of these good things with the, here it is, you can go to sleep after this, with the wrong motives. That's the key. What is the motivation for doing these things? We might ask today, and I might ask of you today, what is the reason behind the spiritual things we do? I'd be a good conversation starter, you and me just visiting, if I asked you, what, what's behind these spiritual things, these biblical things, these religious things, these church things, what's behind them? 
Why are you doing what you're doing? Or maybe another question we could ask would be this. Are we glorifying God when we do that stuff or seeking the praise of people? Oh, preacher, you can't ask that question. Listen, I've been at it long enough, I can. Unfortunately, churches from time to time have people that do things for the reason of looking good or getting praise from people. I'm always hesitant, and yet I do it. The Lord leads me to do it, to say something about our choir, orchestra, all those things. But listen, folks, don't get the big head, okay? You're not doing that stuff for the praise of people or the pastor. You're doing it to give God glory. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in the next uh, few weeks You see, the answers lie in the truth, here's the truth, that God is concerned with what is going on in our hearts. If you don't think about anything today, I want you to think right now, your your heart, not your not your thumper, your your pumper, but you know, your your inner being, your soul, your heart, what the Bible calls it. God is very concerned about what is going on in your heart. And listen, you can fool me, you can fool your spouse, maybe even, your kids or your parents, your Sunday school class. We can fool each other, but not God. God knows what's going on in here, and He is concerned about it. So today Jesus focuses on giving. Just real quick before we get to the scripture, in the Bible there were two main kinds of giving. I think you're aware of that. Uh, there's the, the first kind is systematic, structured, regular giving to the church. We see it in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 16 tells us something interesting. We've gotten away from it a little bit today because of digital deposits and uh, uh, getting paid twice a month or you know, all those things are once a month, you know, are, it's a little different. But back then, 1 Corinthians 16 instructed the folks that on the first day of the week, what day is that? Sunday. That they were to set aside and save as God prospered them. Okay? And the scripture is clear in number spots that the store or the storehouse for this kind of giving was the local church. And so we know about that. And I know most preachers are going to talk about that. That's the the first main type of giving that we find all throughout the Bible. The second one is uh, giving to the poor and needy. This one, instead of more structured, it's more unstructured. It's more unspecified. It's more spontaneous. There's not the command that on the first day of the week, as God has prospered you, boom, do it, do it, do it. Give, give, give. This one is over and above what's given to the church, and it is more spontaneous as needs arise and as they're placed before us. Throughout the Bible, you'll find this kind of giving where the needy person crosses your path and you're to reach out your heart to that individual and to help. So as we read uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, we're going to learn that motive matters to God. Motive matters to God. Jesus starts out with a strong word. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you. 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you, they've got their reward, exclamation point. Hmm. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts today. You'd speak to our lives. That we would hear from you. And that we would check ourselves knowing that he who began a good work in us is working on us to complete it, to get it to maturity. So God, I pray that each person here today, everyone online that is listening, that we would be open to your working in our lives. Change us, God. In your name we pray, amen. First point comes from verse chapter 1, and it's this. There is a caution concerning motive. There is a caution concerning motive. Jesus starts out, he's, I wrote down, he's dead serious. Do you know that term? Yeah, that's probably not, not a good term if I knew where it originated. I don't know where it originated, but when someone says, I'm dead serious, I'm like, well, let me pay attention to what's getting ready to say. And he does that. He says, be careful. That phrase, be careful, is derived from the biblical word that means this, to grasp to pay attention, to beware, to guard yourself. I love this one. To be addicted to. Isn't that interesting? To be addicted to or devote your thoughts toward. He uses that word when he starts out. Be careful. You see, Jesus wants us to take every possible precaution to guard against the sin of giving to the poor with wrong motives. Uh, this verse will also, in the coming weeks, apply to prayer. We'll apply to that third pillar of their life, fasting, when we will see it in the coming weeks. Notice we're not to take this precaution occasionally. The Greek tense of the word, and I know you don't like tense, but it's important how it was written because it shows us that we are to be careful about this continually and constantly. We are to continually and constantly pay attention about our motives in giving. When we are not to let up on this matter, it's to keep going. And we are to be aware today and aware tomorrow concerning our motives for giving. So he's dead serious. He starts it right off and he says, be careful be addicted to what I'm getting ready to tell you that you need to be doing. And then he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness. Now, actually, you may have something different in your version. Actually, righteousness is the correct translation of the words there, but it can mean more than just what we're thinking. This one sp specifically, it gives the idea of charitable acts. Is everybody good with that? Everybody know what that means? Charitable acts. So here, that's what it's referring to. So the giving to the poor, or the giving of the alms, or almsgiving, for some Jews, it was the greatest thing that they could do. In fact, some would call it the first act of religion. Isn't that interesting? I thought the first act of religion would be what? 
forgive me, God, I'm a sinner. Save me, right? But this is where they were. So the, the people are paying I mean, he's blowing their minds again. They are paying attention to what Jesus is teaching here, okay? Now, let me just say this. Charitable acts are giving. Giving is important. Do you know that? It's not important because I get a salary and benefits from the church. It's important because what Scripture says about it. I could go on and on and on, but I'll save that for next year when I do a generosity series. But let me share a few verses with you. Just a few popped into my head. Proverbs eleven twenty five says this, The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Kind of funny, huh? But we get the idea of what that means. And Jesus himself said in Luke 6, 38, Give, and it will be what? Given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, talking about giving, generosity, it will be measured back to you. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 6, we mention this on a regular basis. It applies to a lot of things, but also to giving. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. So let me just say right up front, giving is important. And Jesus knows that, but he's kind of drilling down now. He's, he's like, hey, be careful, beware, take a look at this idea of giving as it relates to charitable acts. Because he helps to see. Because look what it says. Don't practice it, what? In front of people to be seen by them. Do you see the word seen? See what I did there? No, okay, wow. I thought that was pretty good. That just, that just shows you what pops into your head you should never say out loud. Just st stick with this stuff. That word seen is interesting. Guess what word we get from that word? We get our word theatrical. Is that, is that giving you a new picture there? It's like, man, don't do this in front of people to be seen by them. We get our word theatrical. We get the idea of a spectacular performance. Jesus is setting up by using this word. He is setting them up to show the hypocrisy that he's getting ready to talk about. It's like, you know, pull it out and do this and make sure, every, you know, theatrical, right? That's what he's talking about there. And he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you. Do you see the word there? Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Interesting, the word you right here in verse 1 is in plural form. What does that mean? It means it shows a statement of general principle. So this is a general principle he's giving to all of them and to all of us right now for all disciples. And he ends the verse with, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. What in the world does that mean? Well, <clears throat> the phrase from your Father, literally here's what it means. It's not that great of English. Beside your Father. Well, what does that mean? That gives me the picture of I'm standing by his side, which means what? I'm seeing it as he sees it. Do you see how that works? You see, God rewards, the Father rewards from his view and not our view. 
Oh, but God, I helped this guy out. Oh, but God, I helped this family out. Oh, but God, I did this, I did that. Listen, he's looking at it from his view. And you remember what his view is? Not the scene, the theatrical, the spectacular performance. He looks inside and sees what our motives are. So we want to think about that. That's a lot for verse 1. But let's move on to verse 2. Jesus starts with the negative or the, the advice, and it's this. He tells us how not to give, and the word I listed is hypocritically. How not to give. Well, don't give hypocritically. Because he starts out verse 2, and he says, so whenever you give, there's that word again, but this time it's a singular pronoun. It's not a general principle now. He's drilling in on the folks now, and he's giving this singular pronoun expresses concrete examples. We could say it this way. It's very personal. He went from this to that, very personal. And look what he says. He says, whenever you give. Do you see the assumption that's there? And I won't camp on this too long. But here's the assumption. When Jesus says, so whenever you give to the poor, he is assuming that his disciples will regularly assist needy people. Do you see that? So, let me stop and ask you, are you? Now, I know people have told us different things. I know we go case by case. I know in Albuquerque, I drive by needy people all the time, and I don't help every one of them. But that doesn't mean I can just say I'm not helping any of them. Listen, Christian, when's the last time you stopped or met someone that crossed your path and you heard about their story and why they were in the situation they were in, why they were a person in need? Listen, we don't, at least as I observe most Christians, we don't stop and take a moment and find out their story. We just go, oh, mental. Oh, homeless. Oh, must be a drug addict. Who are we to assume that we are not God. Let me encourage you. I realize you would never get to work. You would never get anywhere if you stopped on every corner. But has there been a time this year in your life, your Christian life, where you have stopped and got to know a story about that person and why they're in that situation and allow God to either do this or not do this, cause you to give to them? I'll never forget uh, early this year, I think it was early this year, Lynn and I came out of Cheesecake Factory. As a diabetic, why I go to Cheesecake Factory, I don't know, except my wife loves cheesecake. So I just say, let me smell it. Okay, go ahead and eat it now. We came out, and there was a young man. He was so disheveled, and he was sitting there, and he, his nose was running. You know, he's probably sick and all that, but we stopped. Now, we stopped because he was Navajo, and we have... Living in Bloomfield for almost 20 years, I have a deep burden and a deep love for the Navajo Nation because of having all those experiences with them over the years. But we stopped and we said, what's your name? What's your story? And he started crying. Do you know why he started crying? He said, most people will never ask what my name is. Most people will sneer at me and keep walking. He said, most people might throw me some money in this, like this, and then just keep going. Thank you for asking my name. 
and why I'm in this situation. And then we're like, can we pray with you? And he was crying, yes. When's the last time someone prayed with him? And don't do that with everyone, but we did that in that case. And guess what we did? I pulled out what was left in what, some of y'all don't have cash. I hope you're not using that as an excuse not to help others. Hello. You should keep some fives and tens in the console of your vehicle. You really should. Wait, I just said that. All the uh, thieves will know that we keep money in our consoles now. <laughs> Forget I said that. No. I think it's important to do. Have some. Or you, you, how, how are you going to help if you, if you don't have it? And of course, man, we, we helped him. See, and don't do that with everyone. It's just an example. And let me ask you the question again. Whenever you give, have you helped out a person in need? Now, it doesn't just mean it has to be a homeless person or someone on the side of the road or in front of the Cheesecake Factory. It could be a fellow believer that's in need, right? We have a wonderful benevolence fund here that helps anyone and everyone if they will go through the proper channels, whether church member or not, whether we know or don't know, and it's wonderful to be able to help in that way. But personally, we should do that as well. Okay, it almost sounded like a whole other sermon, didn't it? So those of you that are hacked off at me right now, this, this, let me say this. This year... Have you gotten to know anyone's story and help them? If not, there's still time. That's what I would say. Okay, let's keep going. Because Jesus assumes that they are giving in this way. So whenever you give to the poor, hmm, remember this. We should remember that what is on the outside is not always the same as what on the inside. We call that hypocrisy. Okay? And we're getting ready to talk about hypocrisy now. What is on the outside is not always the same as what is on the inside. There was a zoo that was noted for its vast array or great collection of animals. That's the kind of zoo I like to go to. What about you guys? Yeah? But one day in this zoo, the gorilla died. And to keep up the appearance outside of a full range of animals... The zookeeper hired a man to wear a gorilla suit and put him in the exhibit. In essence, he's filling in for the dead animal. Why? So the people could come by and say, this is a great zoo. They got a gorilla, right? It was his very first day on the job. Can you picture this? And the man did not know how to act like a gorilla very well. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, you could do it for a little while, but eventually, you know, you're going to... I don't know, you're going to not act that way. And as he worked at it, this man in the gorilla suit, he tried to move convincingly. He got too close to the wall of his enclosure and tripped and fell into the lion exhibit. You, you got it? You picturing it? Picture that in your mind. And he began to scream. As I would, he was convinced that his life was over until the lion spoke to him and said, be quiet or you're going to get us both fired. <laughs> what is on the outside does not always reflect what is on the inside. In fact, could I tell you this? That funny story shows us it is hard for us to keep up with outside appearances. It's a problem. And it leads to the word hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. You know, I love to look at old dictionaries. Have you ever looked at old dictionaries and compared the definitions back then to now? You should. Daniel Webster was a strong Christian, a believer. And in the 1828, 
Webster's English Dictionary. Not the 1928, not dictionary.com that you can look up right now on your phones, but in the 1828 Webster's English Dictionary, it defines a hypocrite as, are you ready for this? One who feigns to be what he is not. Would agree, right? One who has the form of godliness without the power. Ouch. Oh, I'm not done. Or one who assumes an appearance of piety and virtue when he is destitute of true religion. Wow. Hypocrite. So now Jesus is moving here in verse 2, telling us how not to give. And he's specifically now addressing the hypocritical almsgiving of the people, especially the leaders. So leaders, let's listen up closely. And he says right there, don't sound the trumpet in the synagogue. So they do it at church or in the streets. They do it in the neighborhoods. So they're consistently doing this incorrectly in church and out of church. And look at why they do it. Look at the verse again. Whenever you give to the poor, don't sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. They do it for the applause of other people. Mm. There's the word trumpet there, sound the trumpet. And you'll remember we've talked about this already. There's a variety of things it could be, but you remember we talked about giving the offerings in the temple. We talked about the chest and how it came up and had like a flare of the, the trumpet opening, the end of the trumpet, okay? And if you'll recall that that was so no one could reach in and get anything, but also what that did, and we've mentioned this before, is that it caused when you threw your coins in there, it made a loud clanging sound. Do you remember that when we talked about that? That could possibly be what he's talking about here, Okay? But it could also be the fact that they sounded the trumpet in the temple at the time of certain almsgiving. Or it could be metaphorical. You can work all that out. Here's what I want to say to you. Regardless of your take on what it means to sound a trumpet before you give, Jesus describes that conduct as hypocritical. And he is very clear. Don't do it. And I tried to think of a way to explain that, and then Panda Express hit my head. Anybody ever been to Panda Express? Okay, I'm mad at them right now because they, they closed the lobby down again, the one I go to off of Paseo. But you go in there, and you're getting ready to pay, and I'm, you're unassuming, and, and the guy in that one always says, hey, would you round up to Children's Cancer Fund or whatever, right? Okay, right? Your bill's 1137. Would you round up? What does that mean? Uh oh, 63 cents. Ah, got it. Goes towards whatever that charitable thing they're promoting, right? And at that Panda Express, I've done it a few times. I've not done it a few times because of their reaction. They have this little bell there and they go, ding! Anybody ever experienced that? And at that Panda Express, everybody, even the cooks in the back, go, thank you! Or they yell something out. It always scares me. And I thought, that's kind of the idea. I didn't round it up to get a ding, thank you, yay. But these folks were giving in that way. You see it? But here's the question. Are there really hypocrites? Come on, Lamar, are there really hypocrites? Well, hypocrite is an interesting word. It comes from the Greek word meaning to be an actor 
or pretender, playing the part of another. That's what the word means. It was used of actors on the stage, and such play acting was also seen during times of mourning, and we've talked about this as well in the New Testament times. Some people made their living as professional, do you remember? Mourners, professional mourners. They were paid to weep and wail and tear their garments at funerals and on other occasions of sadness. And so both the professional mourner and those who hired them were hypocrites, according to the definition. They're being hired. They're being... They're they're hiring to put on a display of mourning that was fake. And Jesus uses this word in this chapter to apply to these three areas of which we're looking at today. The first one, the giving, charitable giving. Hmm. I would say to you today, don't be a hypocrite. I would say to you today and me today, don't be a spiritual actor. Okay? Because there's that word hypocrites. Now back to the trumpets. I would just like to say this in modern day application. Sometimes we have our own little trumpets, don't we? Maybe it's not, we don't have an offering chest or whatever. There's no trumpet call for us to come from our homes and rush down here and give benevolence gifts, right? But sometimes we have our own little trumpets. So I would say we need to check ourselves. Now notice in this verse, we're almost done with it, that the hypocrite also has his reward. Here's what I say. He's paid in full. He has his receipt, but he's broke. He's spiritually broke by how he's doing it. And Jesus gives a strong warning here. And I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The words of Jesus. Also in John 5, Jesus says to them, how can you believe? While accepting glory from one another, and here's the indictment, you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. Capital G. Mm. So how do we give? Okay, great. How do we... How do we not give? We got it. How do we give? Verses 3 and the first part of 4, if you look at it. He says, but when you give to the poor, again, there's that assumption, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. The idea of the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing is not a modern-day picture of our government, I'm sorry, or bureaucracy. Anybody have experienced that? Have you ever said that? If I had a dollar in my home for every time I said that, I'd have some dollars. I've said, they don't, they don't even know what they're doing. The left hand's doing from the right hand. And it's usually always related to the government. But here, it's not the case. Here, the left hand and the right hand, not knowing what's going on, gives... Are you like me? I want that giving record for IRS. Anybody like me? I, uh, come on, man. If I get that charitable giving up high enough, that's not why I do it, but it's amazing what it can do at the bottom line of my taxes. Maybe you guys can't do that. Maybe you've been just, just taking the standard deduction. Ooh, you can do better than that if you're doing a lot of charitable giving. <laughs> it's kind of messed us up, though, because... The idea is just, just do it. No, not even the IRS has to know about it. It doesn't have to go on a giving record. 
Okay, again, this is giving to the poor. This is unstructured, unspecific, spontaneous. This is not that structured, specific giving of what the Lord has given you. We would call it tithes and offerings that we do on the first day of the week as the Lord is prosperous. It's not talking about that. It's talking about this other one. And Jesus is saying the best way to avoid hypocrisy is just do it unnoticed. In Jesus' time, this is interesting. As I studied, I found something new. Isn't it interesting how you study? Sometimes you find something new. I found something new that I want to study some more about. I'm sharing it with you now. In his time, it was said that there was a special out-of-the-way place in the temple where shy, humble Jews could leave their gifts without being noticed. And there was another place nearby that provided for the shy poor, someone who had need but didn't want to be seen asking for help. Here they could come and take what they needed. It had a name. The name of the place was called the Chamber of the Silent. Isn't that interesting? See how that gives us a totally different opposite picture of hypocrisy? Now, we don't have the temple today, but we can give in this way. Now, please know something. I don't want you to just uh, assume that I am saying something definitively, okay? Uh, Our giving in secret does not mean that giving is never done in a more public way. That's not what's being said here. You see, take heart. True righteousness cannot be kept entirely secret. The idea of secrecy here is to deal with the hypocrisy. Okay? Jesus is teaching about right motives and wrong motives. And sometimes what we're doing is out front in public. It's not all done in secret. Please don't come tell tell me, hey, I'm just going to do everything in my Christian life in secret. That's not what I said. It's not what this said. In fact, if you remember back to last chapter, what did Jesus say in verse 16 of chapter 5? Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. Now there's the catch. Glory to God has to be done. You see, whether it's secret, non-hypocritical, or in public, both give the glory to God. Do we see that? Let's finish up with the last point. John's, God, excuse me, God sees and rewards the last part of verse 4. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever questioned the scorekeeper at a game somewhere? You ever played basketball at Wingate? You question the scorekeeper, all right, if you're not on that team, all right? Maybe, maybe you have thought that, or maybe you question the clock. Anybody? Some of y'all love college football yesterday. I guarantee some of you were whining and saying, they let the clock run down. Who's keeping track of that? Listen, maybe you're not a sports fan, but you might have a scorekeeper at home when you play games. Anybody? Have any of you ever questioned a family member keeping score in the game when all, they kind of won at the end and you're going, how did that happen? Anybody? Yeah, we question the scorekeeper. Here's what I want you to know. Look at the last part of verse 4. God is the perfect scorekeeper. In fact, in him alone should the score be kept. He alone provides the reward. I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 10, the first part of, excuse me, Hebrews 6 Verse 10, it says this, For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you showed in his name. So what rewards does God give to the righteous Christian? Look, it says, And your Father, who who sees in secret, will reward you. Well, I think the first one is satisfaction. 
It's a great reward. It, satisfaction is something that money cannot buy. And to be able to help someone out in the proper way, doesn't that? It brings satisfaction to us. Another reward would be greater service and responsibility. I think of the parable of the talents. Do you remember that? What do you do with what God has given you? You do it well and you get some more. You go hide it and dig a hole and bury it in the ground. And you get it taken away. So there's the idea of greater service and responsibility. That's a, that is a blessing or reward that God gives. And then there's the peacefulness of walking with God. Growing closer to God. Because I am obeying what he's asking me to do. So I would say this. He is the one who acts. Therefore, trust God to see and reward. Don't worry about me or your friend or someone in your class or a family member. Let's trust God. He sees in secret. That's what the scripture says. He gives reward, and it's not necessarily monetarily, okay? He does that. Let's trust him for that. We do not need human acclaim and applause. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, this is usually why I like it, be steadfast. You know this one? Be steadfast, be immovable, mm, always excelling in the Lord's work. But I must remember the last phrase sometime. Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? He sees. I don't need credit for whatever it is. Let me have the right motives. He sees. He rewards. Let me close in this way with an analogy. Hypocrisy can be illustrated by the way we clean house when company is coming. I don't know if you've not seen the viral video. He's an older teenager. He's a college student, I think. But he goes and cleans the house, and he mimics his mother because relatives are coming. And he uses every cliche and every crazy statement that I know your mom has said to you or your wife has said to you when someone's coming over, right? No, you can't use that bathroom. It's been cleaned. Um, you want me to go outside? What? Right? Anybody? can? Now, don't raise your hand if it's your wife, but come on, right? Your mom? Right? we got to do this, this, and this. And here's the ultimate part of that. And that video was hilarious. Shoving as much junk as you can in the closet. And this guy goes crazy and does all that. Or stuffing as much things under the bed you can do. Now, if you have multiple bedrooms, you can get a lot under those beds, right? <laughs> Except for you crazy hoarders that already have stuff all the way under your bed already. Yeah. Wow. So what happens? Is it really clean or is the stuff where no one can see it? The guests cannot see it. Hmm. Out of sight, it doesn't exist to the guests, the company. So that's a commentary on how you can quickly clean house. But let me tell you this. This analogy shows that it is a terrible way to deal with spiritual junk in our lives, sweeping it into a closet or under a bed, hiding the wrong motives. Hmm. You see, there is no value in hiding our junk from people. That is what Jesus is talking about. That's hypocrisy. 
You see, God sees it, and he is the one that we are to please, not men and women. Christian, here's my plea for you today. Just do it. Just do what he says. Do it. Adopt this way of life in this one area. We'll get to some other areas in the coming weeks. Just do it. But then I got to thinking as I wrote those words down, what if you're not yet a follower of Jesus? You can't just do it. I don't care how much charitable giving you do. You can't just do it if you're not a follower of Christ. What does that mean? You can't give God glory, okay? Not yet. Not yet. There is no reward yet. Because God has a rescue plan for you, just like he did for me when I was a screwed up little kid. He has a rescue plan right now. He sent his one and only son, Jesus. He loved us so much that he did that. And Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And being God himself, he went to the cross, which we sang about today, and he died. He shed his blood for our sin. You see, God has a rescue plan. You can get to the point where you can give God glory. You can get to the point where he sees and rewards you for what you are doing. Listen, you can get there, but it requires an act of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, which God gives you. If you're thinking about this right now, God's given that to you. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, so that no one can boast. Well, that kind of goes back to this hypocrisy, doesn't it? And God offers that to you. Jesus alone can forgive, because Jesus alone shed his blood for you. And the scripture says, there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So I'd ask that you would think about that today. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge today that we're all sinners. Many of us are saved by our great Savior. And God, I pray that you'd help us to not, specifically in this area, be hypocritical in our charitable giving. God, work in our lives. Change us from the inside out. Help us in all that we do to give glory to you. And I pray for those today that are listening online or that are here today that do not yet have that relationship with you, that they would turn and repent and run to you and just say, I'm a sinner, I know it, please forgive me, God. Come into my life. You are the one who can save me from my sin. You're the one who can change me. Please do that, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen.